0: Welcome to the Lean Health Tech Podcast, where industry professionals discuss trends and topics where efficiency, healthcare, and technology meet. My name is Taryn Shipley, and I'm your host. Our guest speaker today is G. Bai. G is a professor of health and policy management at Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. She's also a professor of accounting at Johns Hopkins. She's testified in Congress, written for the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Washington Post, and published studies in leading academic journals like the New England Journal of Medicine, JAMA, and Health Affairs. Thanks for joining us, G. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. Today's topic is the healthcare regulation debate, bureaucratic bind or safety net. There's a seemingly constant debate on government regulation in healthcare. Today, we'll take a deep dive into whether these regulations serve as protective measure, ensuring quality and equity, or if they stifle progress and inflate costs. So, G, let's start by setting the stage. What are some of the hot topic healthcare regulations today, and what is the intent behind them?
1: I think most of the hot topics today are related to pricing, right? Pricing, affordability, uh, we passed the ACA in 2010, but the result shows uh, opposite to what the law is called, right? The law is called affordable care. But we have seen increasing unaffordability. That's why I think the focus of today's policymakers in healthcare space is about reducing price, improve affordability. And also, this is a hot topic interest by voters, right? So there's a, I would say, pretty tremendous political implication for all these topics because they're just very much uh, motivating voters.
0: So I know it comes up often when we talk about healthcare affordability. People love to blame payers. Insurance companies are pocketing tons of money, and they're saying that is the root cause of the issue why care is unaffordable. Would you agree, or do you think that's a misinterpretation of the situation?
1: I think at least it's partially uh, misinterpreted the reality. I do not believe there is sense there's villain in the healthcare sector. Everybody is trying to make money. You know, if someone says, I'm just purely altruistic, I haven't seen such a person. We all have to survive. We have bills to pay. We have to bring food to the table, right? So everybody is trying to compete to get a fair share. Then if the playground is uneven, that will provide opportunities for players to take advantage or to exploit. And then on the surface, it looks like uh, these players are very greedy and creating all the pricing problems, but in reality, we want to look deeper. Maybe the root cause is that the playground is uneven. Then these players have to take advantage like because they, they want to make money. They take advantage. And, and always think about yourself, right? If you are in that position and your job is to make money, would you do that? You definitely do that, right? Most people. And then there's, if there's not enough competition, there's not much downward pressure on your pricing strategy you're going to have a high price and you're going to make a lot of money. So that, that to me is an ecosystem. We we cannot just say someone is is greedy, someone's really bad. Uh, we have to look at you know, the whole system and look at the root cause.
0: If I were putting myself in their shoes, absolutely, we need to make money. We need to put food on the table for our kids. You know, if I were working for an insurance company, um, but you raise a good point that perhaps the playground is uneven and they're exploiting the system a little bit. Let's talk about the example of medical float rate, which states that insurance companies have to spend X amount of dollars that they receive on actual medical care. Um, And I believe, I think it's 80%. So 80% of what they receive from uh, the patients that are paying them their monthly premiums and whatnot, they have to spend 80% of that on the patient's medical care. So they really only get 20% of that as profit. So in order for them to increase their profit, they have to make medical care more expensive or inflate costs in order to get more money. Are you following so far? Yes, that's
1: a great example of a government-created problem that promotes the perverse incentive, create a perverse incentive and motivate insurance companies not to do their job, <laughs> which is to bring more affordable health insurance plans to the market. So that's, that's medical loss ratio issue, yeah.
0: So and there's another, I believe it's the 340B, which is associated with medications. So there are more and more regulations coming out that are attempting to fix all these problems in healthcare, but are the additional regulations producing the intended results? It seems like we're getting progressively worse over the years.
1: Absolutely, think about 340B, right? Very much well-intentioned law, but then got uh, exploited over the years, simply because at that time the law was passed whoever wrote the law uh, have, have no ability to predict what the market will evolve, how the players would circumvent, right, to game the system. Why we have the unintended consequences? Number one, as I mentioned, is that the inability of the lawmaker at that time, right, to, to pay, predict and to strategize the market. Um, but also in many cases, I would say almost all cases, the process is relatively captured by very powerful, politically connected players. So in order for the law to pass, these powerful players must get their fair share. So how can you pass a law saying let's reduce hospital pricing when you have very much connected hospital industry groups involved in the decision-making process? And that's just one example, you know, insurance companies, uh drug companies, this is very common in our lawmaking process. So I would say uh, in this, on the surface, it looks like a lot of laws are trying to do what the title says, right? But in reality, uh, it is captured. So in the long run, the consequences would be opposite to what the law is intended to do on the surface.
0: So do we have the wrong people making these healthcare decisions? I mean, are these providers and clinicians with experience in the system? And it sounds like a lot of them have a conflict of interest, as you mentioned.
1: If I'm the one of the players, I would do exactly the same. You know, if I want to make money, guess what, Tara? I will try very hard, invest a lot of money in lobbying, in political contribution, and then to provide revolving doors for key policymakers, because these investments will give me a huge payoff, simply because... The, the revenue part, my re, a huge chunk of my revenue comes from regulation or are strongly correlated with the regulation or legislative outcome. So by influencing that, I can get a lot of payoff. So I will do that. Therefore, I don't think it's because these players are bad just because there is a cheese. so we're gonna you know, chase for the cheese. That is a uh, I would say a shortcoming of uh, depending on policymakers to address pricing issues.
0: So what if we go the opposite route? Let's do a mental, like a thought experiment here. What would it look like if healthcare had zero regulation? There was no medical reimbursement for meeting, you know, regulatory measures. Organizations didn't have to dedicate weeks and months and tons of resources to uh, report on certain things to certain people. There would be no lobbying. What would that look like? What would happen to our healthcare mm-hmm. system if the government just stepped back and said, for a year, we're not going to provide reimbursement. You don't have to report anything to us. There's no
1: lobbying. Taryn, that's a great question. But I want to add a qualification that is to say, there will still be subsidies, right? So we still have Medicaid population, underprivileged population, but the subsidy can go directly to patients, right? If if I understand correctly. So the patients will get the money, but the subsidy does not really go to any middleman, like insurance company or or the uh, hospitals or providers, right? Right. That that pretty much like a, a free market. One thing is for sure, that is price will drop. Price will be much more affordable. Can you imagine tomorrow we have a insurance for grocery? Everybody will, will get a grocery insurance and go to buy things. What would happen tomorrow for, for the price of grocery? Would definitely skyrocket, right? Because nobody will, will take a look at the price. So the, the idea is the same. If tomorrow no longer have insurance, everybody got the debit card just to buy. And then people immediately would pay attention to the price. And then also pay attention to um, some relative value. So, so right now, for example, I have to go to my in network providers. But once I, I pay my, my own cash, I actually become more mobile. I can just decide, right, to compare and decide, no longer have the constraints. So the price will definitely drop. However, there are other critical reasons, right? We are, we are very far from that. Very recent example I want to bring is the COVID test. We are much more regulated compared to Europe in the at-home test. Guess what? Our test is $12 per test, I think last year, but not getting six or sevens because simply because we opened the market a little bit. But at that time, we only allowed, I mean, FDA only allowed three um, at home test suppliers. But in Europe, it's dozens. Then guess what? Their price is only about $1 per test. And we have about $12 per test. So that's exactly the unintended consequences of too much government regulation. So by protecting patients, the FDA slowed down the process and concentrated the benefit to selected, critically well-connected players. Those players really benefited from this. And the FDA says, you know, we're helping patients, we are being strict. Um, But then who's really, um, whose interest has been harmed? Our taxpayers and our patients, right? So I just want to bring that as an example to show Once we have a lot of uh, regulation, uh, regulatory capture will happen and we'll end up with very high price. Once we remove the regulation, we'll come back to a lower price. That is not a specific prediction for a specific case. It's it's generally true. So what would be the
0: potential downsides to the government stepping back and removing nearly all of these regulations? I mean, I know some systems Some healthcare systems are heavily dependent upon that CMS reimbursement. Would we see some hospitals fail, like would rural hospitals fail without the additional
1: funding? That would be a very uh, far, so in order to get so-called governments stepping back, let the market run, we are now seeing taxpayers no longer support we're assuming the taxpayers still provide the same amount of money, but the money directly goes to patients, right? For example, if I'm a Medicaid or Medicare patient, either I'm a medical advantage or even more radical would be give me money, right? I get the $30,000 a year. And I also have reinsurance to protect me against any major, uh, large, like catastrophic spending. Then I use my money to buy. Look, the, the spending is the same. Taxpayers still suffer the same amount, but the locus of control changed. The money does not go to the hospital, but go directly to patients, right? And the patient use that money to buy. I I think actually the it's gonna be better for hospitals, especially hospitals are able to innovate and provide a good quality. They will attract good patients, uh, not good more, more more volume, the price will not be captured by government, meaning that the Medicare patient might pay you know similar price as the commercial, and then we reach some kind of equilibrium. But I just think given how much we pay as taxpayers for all these programs, if everybody controls the money, whoever got subsidized controls the money, with government to provide a safety net, meaning that reinsurance, I say protection, we will have a much better system. But you know, we are, we are very far from that. But I think at least we, we should understand that would be the right direction to control price if control price is legal.
0: So if I understand what you're saying, you're saying that the proportion of who's receiving what money is the same, it's just on a smaller scale.
1: Maybe not on a small, maybe this even the same scale. This total part is the same, right? How much we spend in healthcare uh, from taxpayers' perspective. But we allocate the money, give that to patients. Give that to patients. It does not give that to, to insurance companies. It does not do any any backdoor allocation or appropriation to providers. And so they let the patients control. Then you 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 basically you you suddenly have a big amount uh, in your debit card. Are you saying we cut out insurance altogether? So oh no, (laughs) that that's not the, and we cannot do that. Insurance let insurance do what insurance does best. So insurance does best when it covers major expensive events, right? That's why the car insurance does not cover oil change and the property insurance does not c- cover repair of a faucet, right? So it's because if you use that insurance to cover these small things, it's very inefficient, meaning that you end up paying much more higher premium than if you just do it by yourself, paying cash. So we're, we're seeing this on the generic drug space. Right. So generic drugs, if you pay cash through Gudex, through Amazon pharmacy or Costco or Walmart, uh, you're going to have a many cases. You are going to have lower out-of, out-of-pocket spending, which is the cash payment than if you go through your insurance. And that happens with also um, some hospital procedures. If you look at your cash price, you pay cash actually it can be lower than your uh, insurance negotiated rate, especially considering many people are under this high black plan. So the point is, we should let the insurance cover major major things, and then let people have more control of their money, right? Because the premium will go go down, and the saving go to people's own control, so they can use their their own spending account to to to, to comparison shop. Once the providers understand this, you know immediately the price will collapse.
0: I agree, and I love your example of comparing it to auto insurance. I think putting it in that way makes it was almost an aha moment for me but i'm going to play the devil's advocate here i i agree with you 100% if people have to pay for preventive care out of pocket will we see a huge decline in immunization rates um i'm just thinking for kids right now people you know yes. parents take their kids to the doctor immunizations are covered so we pay zero out of pocket you know if someone has five kids that's a lot of immunizations over the yeah. years that can get kind of pricey but if the price comes down enough, do you yeah. think that that will be okay? People will still get that preventive care?
1: That's a great question. So, Tyrone, in we actually wrote an article in JAMA Internal Medicine to articulate this proposal. So the preventive care, especially demonstrated, right, we definitely demonstrated the effectiveness like the for, for children, those immunity procedures should be 100% covered just like right now that's in the insurance um, space because we simply need to encourage everyone to take that. That's extremely important for public health. But I want to have two caveats. It's not true that all the preventive care we believe appropriate right now is appropriate, right? Time will tell. You know, many things have changed if you look at the guideline for preventive care. And also if you look at Europe and here, there are differences. It's because the evidence is evolving. We are always comparing the benefit and the cost, right? But as time goes by, researchers get more data, then the evaluation might change and that might have a have a shift in the guidance of preventive care. So that's what I, I want to emphasize that there are a chunk of very well established immunization a requirement. We definitely should cover that. Absolutely no copay. But there are some some things that might be subject right, to, to more evidence. I don't think that should be covered Guess what? Patients don't have any incentive to compare the shop. And the end of the result might be paying a very high price through the premium and the patient actually got harmed simply because the guideline is not what the guideline should be due to people's lack of knowledge at the time, right? So we have seen this a lot, right? Pay attention to, to what happened um, recently and you will realize that the guideline and the science-based recommendation, especially based on short-term, relatively short-term time period, can be challenged in the future. So if I may add, the third thing is, we tend to believe that patients are absolutely powerless, right? So someone should take care of them. I want to emphasize that healthcare for patients is patient's life. Healthcare for other people is simply other people's job. Therefore, we should always at least try to avoid thinking we are the God, we are saving the patient. That's just not true. Patients, once they're empowered, they understand that's their life. They will put the most amount of attention into that. They will invest more than anyone else. But anybody beyond the patients, sure, you wanna help them. But, but remember, you also have your own interest. And whether the interest is aligned with patients, you do not know. No matter how well-intentioned you are, there's no way to assure your intention is very well aligned, 100% aligned with patient uh, intention. Therefore, I think we should have some humility when we try to say this is the best for patients. And let alone the fact that there's very diverse taste among patients even.
0: I love that you address the whole playing the God complex. Like we're saving patients. I recently saw a LinkedIn post and someone was saying, Patients need some skin in the game. They need to have some accountability for their own care. And I'm thinking they're literally putting their lives on the line. Like their health is the skin in the game. That is the most important stakeholder in the medical decision-making for a patient. It's the patient's health. You stated that perfectly, that the patient needs to be in control. The patient is going to suffer the effects and the negative outcomes, if there are negative outcomes. And the patient's health is what they have on the line. It's not just dollars for a job.
1: We have seen the you know lifestyle issue. We have studied the social determinants of the health. It's like the healthcare only a very small portion of, of determinants of your mortality, right? You also have to motivate the patients to do other good things, to help to help themselves, right? So you know, let them control their money. They might use the money for, let's say, healthy food or other. Things. That in total is something that once patients have control, I do believe they individually would be able to allocate the resource much more efficiently than anyone else, according to their own taste and the preferences.
0: You did touch on one thing, I think it was a few minutes ago when you were speaking, but it was about vaccines and how you think some vaccines that are required are necessary. Absolutely, there's been sufficient scientific research and evidence that say, you know, we need herd vaccination, but other vaccines maybe aren't as necessary. And I I don't want to get on the topic of COVID vaccines. I'm just talking about your traditional like measles, mumps, rubella, tetanus, you know, pertussis, whatever. But are we pushing vaccines, not because they're scientifically proven enough, but maybe because the wrong people are in the decision seat, and they're going to make profit. So they're pushing these vaccines as if, oh, we need these from a health perspective, when really, like you mentioned earlier, they're just trying to get their piece of the cheese.
1: I'm not a physician, so I cannot offer clinical advice. However, I would say all the missile those vaccines, if you look at the efficacy rate, that's over 99%, right? The prevention rate. That's why it has been gold standard for many years. But if you look at some other vaccines, if you are looking at around 50%, and then we also uh, like flu vaccine, right? The, the efficacy rate is very low. So... What is the the benefit of doing those vaccines? Right, that's really debatable, in my opinion. And also, it's a, let's say, events some uh, other vaccine, the efficacy rate is is also low. That really reduces people's confidence. If you look at recent vaccine development, there are some very good vaccines, like uh, for the uh, respiratory disease, something you know. Sure, if you have very solid evidence, I do think we we should absolutely take vaccine. That is one of the reasons we have extended the life expectancy, right? However, one thing is remember the health, the the evidence, is that there or not? Second is always, always be mindful of the money game. Meaning that whoever put the guideline there always says that is for patient benefit. But is that really reflecting 100% for patient benefit? maybe not if you look at the guideline for food right we should, we should not have uh, a fat we should only you know take the, the carb or sugar is fine history has many many lessons uh, cautionary tales to tell us we always should consider regulations and guidelines as rule made by people man-made rules and are those people who made the rules have superior intelligence and a superior morality than the whole market You might say, okay, they're experts, they know better. But these experts are still a small group of individuals, right? And they have their own incentives. So so therefore, I think the public should always be mindful of that and then try to think independently. At the end of the day, whatever goes through a government is what a group of people believes, you know, what we should do. And there might be some hidden interests that we are not aware of. Do you think in the
0: near I shouldn't say the near future, do you think this will ever change? Will government ever step back from such heavy healthcare regulations to let this free market situation happen?
1: I think it's very, very difficult for them to do that. It's too much money involved, uh, and then interest group is so powerful. they do political contributions, right? They do lobbying. It's impossible, almost impossible. For government to, to give up the control, and also it looks good, right, to voters. So it's a healthcare really is a, is a perfect uh, area to to package, to frame, and then to to make the message of uh, like helping patient, etc. So you know, given all these benefits, it's it's almost impossible for government to, to give up control. However, I would say the only hope would be the people, you know, become more aware of these things and then develop some kind of political will. Eventually, what people do in D.C. Uh, is really based on what the pop, general public believes. I, I, do, I do think the politicians can't ignore public opinion, right? So if there's enough political will, then things can change.
0: So what do individuals do in the meantime if government is not going to give up control I mean, what can I, as a patient do? What can listeners? What can physicians do? What can all the clinicians do to kind of combat this complicated situation?
1: So we have to understand there are many consequences if we don't do anything, just like the the current trend continue. right? It's not just about us individually, for this generation. It will pave a way for some very dire consequences. We are talking about pricing, right? We talk about quality, but but there is a very important innovation killing effect of having government intervene uh, in in this space too much. They our the free market competition. What would they do? They the competition, the innovation, do one thing that is reduce cost. Like we before we couldn't do a you know space travel. Let's uh, sending the um the, the the cargo into the space, but now we have. The space act doing that, that's, that's literally reducing cost of, of providing a goods or service. That's what innovations do. But if we have government to control the whole space, eventually no innovation will happen. Not only we'll see high price, low affordability, but we won't see new things, right? New, uh, new delivery. I'm not only talking about new drugs or new therapy, but also the new way of delivery. And then having innovative uh, physicians, have innovative insurance, designers have innovative nurses and other stakeholders to find a better way to help patients once we lose that vitality uh, that that dynamic i I think we have we'll end up very stagnated very to me it's like a hopeless situation and i don't think that will serve american people well so so we have to understand that's that's what waiting for us and then as individuals i think number one we we want to you know, make raise awareness just not just about you know, among, our, ourselves, but also our fans and people we know, and also within our, our own ability, right? We want to find any gap in the regulation that we can use that to innovate, right? For example, think about Mark Cuban drug company, uh, Goodx, Amazon, those, those, uh, new, uh, in I would say business models are really taking advantage of the fact that government interventions are distorting the price. So we have an affordable issue. Then guess what? I'm going to jump in. I'm going to provide the patients with more affordable choices like, PC, uh, like uh, direct uh, primary care. It's the same idea, right? We, we are also seeing some providers and military surgical centers serving cash pay patients. And our own study showing the cash pay is very similar to, well, even lower in many cases than the negotiated price. So I think providers are trying to find any opening the system and then provide good services to entice patients. Eventually, you know, everybody try to make money. Everybody try to find option that is good for themselves. That's what's what's really governing our behavior fundamentally. Right now, we, we still have commercial market. We still have room for innovation. So that's really up to innovative players to take advantage of that. Once there's very good evidence showing, you know, really saving money, then I think, Things might change. And especially now, I think considering the price transparency initiative, I think even on the Hill, we already mentioned it's very much captured, but even on the Hill, I think there are still some political will to say, let's empower patients, let's give them the pricing information, let competition help us to address affordability issues. So I think it's up to us to take advantage of the momentum.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your insight around healthcare government regulation. This concludes today's Lean Health Tech Podcast. If you're a listener and would like to hear a certain topic covered in future episodes, please let me know by leaving a review or comment. Thanks for joining and be sure to check out the next episode.